welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week we are coming at you with a mailbag. There is absolutely no news. No news. So we figured we would take your questions. We've been collecting them all day and we've been pouring over our answers, thinking through them methodically, thinking through them precisely, making sure they are well researched uh, and making sure that we bring you the same heavy hitting content that we bring you every week. Which basically amounts to two guys drinking beers and talking about football. So that's about what we're going to do here. <laughs> uh, and, and we're going to jump right into it because there is literally no no news. And really right off the top, and I almost tweeted this out, but I, the number one question that everyone I knew was going to have was going to be all about the damn running backs. So number one question we got, and, and this is the news really in the rundown, is from Brad Collins. Will Joe Williams end up having more carries than Carlos Hyde in 2017? Uh, 49ers mob. How will the carries be split in the backfield with Hyde and rookie Joe Williams? What do we expect? Uh, Thomas Tizzle Trizzle, <laughs> like the name at Tizzle Trizzle on the Twitters. Uh, is Carlos Hyde a Niner in September? Uh, David, what do you make of all this running back talk? Um, it's interesting. I mean, it's, uh, I, I think maybe more uncertain at this point than we would have expected. Right. I think, uh, certainly Carlos Hyde has been somebody that everybody kind of likes and everybody knows, uh, is, is a pretty talented player. And, um, you know, I think at least we thought that he was, uh, you know, he's a, is a pretty good fit for this offense and in the way that Kyle Shanahan's doing things. And so it, you know, you just kind of assume that you're going to roll into, of course we have to add the caveat, you know, Carlos, if he's healthy, Hyde. Um, it, it, but it seemed a pretty much like a foregone conclusion, right? That we were going to roll into training camp in this season with him kind of being the number one guy barring that injury. And now we have a lot of these things popping up, you know, added Joe Williams in the fourth round, um, took Matt Breida or uh, added Matt Breida as an undrafted free agent who we really like. So, um, yeah, I think there, there are some interesting questions there. I mean, is there, I don't know which one, which one you want to start with? Let's, we can kind of go through these, I think relatively quickly, um, and, and kind of yeah. be able to touch on all aspects of it, but. Is there one? So that I think stuck number out? one. Well, let's just go down the list, right? So Brad asks, "Will Joe Williams end up having more carries than Carlos Hyde in 2017?" Just quick thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh, no, he will not. Well, so bar. Let's let's can we can we live in a barring universe injury. barring injury yes. for this whole conversation? Uh, yes. No, he will not have more carries. Uh, yeah, and and I agree. I don't think he will either. You know, there there are two questions really that I'd love to ask you. One is: Is Carlos Hyde a feature back in this system. Um, I think he could be, but I think it's I think it's fair to question that, right? I think you you're looking at a guy that has um one year left on his contract. He was drafted by another regime. Um, he has you know had the injury problems. Obviously, nobody's denying that, and I think it's it's fair to be concerned about having him as kind of your long term. Uh, feature guy in the backfield, right? So I think that is is absolutely valid. There are a number well, of reasons perhaps you can a point to. I think a different formulation of the question, which is truly a different question, is Carlos Hyde a fit for this system? And, and what I mean by that is you think of, is he a feature back? Okay, a feature back is someone who gets the majority of the carries, usually doesn't come off the field, and he's the bell cow. That This player would be more of like the Alfred Morrises of the world if you're thinking of uh, of this Shanahan system. But then you think to yourself, is Carlos Hyde a fit for Shanahan's system? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're the feature player, but it does mean that you can have a productive, consistent role in this offense. And, and those are the Tevin Coleman's of the world. Those are the Devonta Freeman's of the world where they may not have, 
you know, 100% of the carries or 80% of the carries, but they are in, they are an integral part of what the offense wants to do. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, this is a, a no-brainer. I, I think, yes, he is absolutely a fit in this offense. He's been running, uh, you know, in a zone blocking scheme for essentially his entire career, dating back Since to... Since he came out the womb. Yeah, yeah, I mean, at Ohio State, that was what they did. Um, you know, the only season, really, that he was in a, a scheme that predominantly was, you know, using gap schemes or, like, power counter stuff as kind of their primary, uh, you know, type of run schemes was his rookie year in, in 2014. Um, and... That season, I mean, if you remember in that, that following offseason, we talked a lot about because that was the first year that the Niners were making the transition to more of a zone heavy scheme. Right. And that was kind of a, a big topic with the jump, uh, the, the Tom Sewell stuff. And so when we went back and looked at it, his rookie season and, and looked at his carries and looked at the splits there, he averaged like uh, I think it was like one point seven yards per carry more on zone runs that year than he did in gap runs. And so, uh, and then again, 2015, 2016, predominantly zone. So he's been playing in zone, you know, it, basically his entire career. Um, I think, you know, he'll probably see more, a little bit more outside zone than they've run in the past, but it's not like it's a new thing to him. He's been running outside zone. They did it at both places. Um, and I think the reads and um, his style, like I, for some reason, I, I've seen a lot of stuff like that. He doesn't like have the style that fits this type of scheme, which is really strange to me. I mean, I think everything lines up there. There's a lot of nuance that we could get into that would take a lot of time, but I, I think everything lines up from a scheme fit perspective with him. It's really the other stuff and, and the other stuff, again, I think valid questions, but nothing with the on field situation and his fit there is, is a question mark. So how then do you anticipate that the carries are going to be split? In, in the backfield between Hyde, Joe Williams, and, and really anyone else. So I'm not necessarily convinced that Joe Williams is going to immediately be slotted in there as the number one, you know, or kind of as the, uh, the the primary backup, right? If we, if we do assume that, I, you know, and I think, again, barring injury, that Hyde will still be kind of the primary guy. He will get the largest share of the carries. Um, We're going to try and slide Matt Breida in at every opportunity. Matt Breida is going to have something to say, man. He's going to have something to say about that that primary backup role. I think he's going to, you know, kind of carve out uh, some of that split and, and get some of those carries. I think he's definitely going to challenge for that. So I think the way that I would think that it ends up breaking down is you have probably 50% Carlos Hyde. And then I would say 30% to the next guy. So whether that's whether that ends up being Joe Williams or Matt Breida or whoever else, I think those are kind of the leading guys right now. Um, you know, they signed Hightower. Obviously, there are some other guys in the mix. I, I'm just not as excited about those guys. I don't know that they really offer a whole lot that you're not going to be able to get from somebody that's younger um, and, and has kind of more promising, you know, a potential there. So uh, I think 30% to the next guy and then kind of 20% to what's left, right? Depending on whether they keep uh, three or four running backs, I think that last kind of 20% gets mixed up there. Um, but they're going to have like a pretty healthy rotation. Did you catch Mark Saltvite's article on Niners Nation about how what well, he wrote a, like kind of a recap of a feature that ran in the Tampa Bay Times uh, by Matt Baker? And it was how the, the 49ers wooed him. And there was one part in there that I thought was really interesting. And it was what the 49ers told Brita about their two back system. They said that the Niners used a two-back system in Atlanta with Devonta Freeman and Tevin Coleman. And even though they drafted Utah's Joe Williams in the fourth round, he's a bigger back and they need a speedy one. They needed Brita. Uh, and if another team offered a better signing bonus, they'd match it. So that, I think, gives you a very clear view into how the team 
views Breida's role. It's not a competition or either or with Joe Williams. And I think Joe Williams was really signed to be Carlos's Hyde's backup and potentially eventual, eventual replacement or injury replacement, depending on how that is. So I don't think that Breida and Joe Williams are going to eat into each other's carries, especially with the release of Dewan Harris, because that's the role I would have thought Dewan Harris would have fit. And now he gone. So you've got the one speedy guy that's left for an offensive coordinator who loves to use a speedy guy as a changeup in the backfield. I think the, the percentage of carry splits gonna, is going to lean more towards you know 30% to Brita if he is indeed that speedy guy, um, as long as he can pick up the offense. Yeah, I mean that would that would make sense. And none of that would be surprising. I mean that one one of the things that we talked about right during the undrafted, uh, like the episode where we were talking about some of the undrafted free agents that we liked. Um, you know, if, if he ended up, if Brita ended up taking Joe Williams' role early, like taking you know ended up with more carries than than Williams did, like that wouldn't be a surprising thing to me. I think that there are some question marks with Williams that aren't getting brought up because. Again, he ran behind one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in college football last year. Uh, Utah had a top 10 run-blocking offensive line last year. Um, and and I think there are some question marks about how well that he can create at the first level when the blocking's not there. Um, and newsflash, the blocking's not going to be there this year. He's, the, the, the offensive line, um, you know, I think Zutah can be a solid improvement. Maybe they're a little bit better, but they were terrible last year in, in, in the run game. So... There's a long way for them to go. And even if they're a little bit better this year, it's not going to be good. And so I do have some concerns about Williams' ability to create and actually get into the second level, into the secondary where he's really dangerous. Um, and because of that, I think, yeah, I think Hyde, again, we we know about his ability to create after contact and, and kind of make things happen on his own. And I think Brita has more of that um, ability in him than than Joe Williams does right now. You know, the more and more I think about this question, the more I think that it's probably going to be a closer split than we anticipated, only because I think that Joe Williams and Carlos Hyde split carries in the same role. So I think that between the two of them, maybe they get like 35% of the carries, which gets you to about 70%. Because I do think that they were drafted as the same kind of back. And then I think someone like Abrita, and we know that Shanahan generally keeps three running backs on his on his offensive roster, four if you include the fullback, and we'll get to him in just a second. But I think if you if you add that up, you get to 70-80%, and that gives you then 30 carries or 30% of the carries for Brita. So you're looking at like 35% for Hyde, maybe 40, depending. You're looking at maybe 20% for Joe Williams, and then 30% for Brita, he would technically have the second most, you know, snaps on the team. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so if if we use it as more of like an actual carry example, right, and, and think about it that way. So if you say like 25 carries in a given game is is kind of a, a round figure. I don't think, you know, if the Niners are playing from behind a lot, they, they may not quite get there. But we use that as an example. I think you're looking carries. at it's something like um, or yeah, even let's let's go 20. Right. Even easier. So we can do I think it looks like something like hide with 10. And then. Ah, man. And then I think you get into those. Five and three. I, again, I'm not. Yeah, I, I'm not. Five. I'm not Rita, sure which order I want to put those two in yet, because I think it, you know, there's still a lot that we need to see there, obviously. Um, but I think, yeah, whatever the order is. Yeah, I think something like that, where it's where it's you're getting into 10 for the top guy. They're not going to have a ton of carries. I don't think you're going to see many uh, of these backs, you know, top 15, 20 carries all that often this this year. Um, but it's going to be, I think, yeah, fairly even split but I, I still would say that Hyde um 
just because of it. And I think to me, it really comes back to the offensive line, right? And his ability to create after contact. I think that's the thing that kind of separates him right now. And they're going to need that this year. The offensive line isn't where it needs to be. Well, Kyle Shanahan is no stranger to starting undrafted free agents. He did indeed start Alfred Morris as an undrafted free agent, and he was able to ride the Alfred Morris train for quite a while. So it's not as though, you know, even I think it's fair to your point earlier to to question Hyde's status as a feature back. Absolutely. But I do think it's a little silly to, to talk about whether or not he fits in the offense because he very clearly does. So let's switch gears a bit and talk. Uh, and, and also, by the way, Thomas Tizzle Trizzle, we do think Carlos Hyde is going to be a Niner in September. I, I don't think that yeah, the you one, get rid of a talented, yeah, that, I uh, mean, a, a runner that talented. Him getting cut would be, I think, the one surprising outcome. You know, having having those other guys cut into his carries and having a diminished role or something like that. I think you can see all those scenarios play out for sure. But him just like flat out not being there um, would be, I think, a little strange. Joe Brenner on Facebook asks, what kind of role does Juszczyk play with all the talent the Niners added at tight end and running back? So we originally thought Juice could be the move tight end or, or kind of a, a Delaney Walker type of player. Now the Niners have added uh, Cole Hikatini and a couple of other players, including uh, Kittle, who's a, a pretty good athlete himself. So does Juszczyk just go back to being a regular fullback or what kind of role does he play? Um, I think you could see him doing a few. Th- and I think it ends up being fairly similar to the way he was used in, in Baltimore, right? Because in, in Baltimore, he wasn't really a runner. So adding the other running backs, I don't think really does much to his role. Um, the one thing that I think that he'll, you'll see him in a lot is I think he ends up being the the running back in like third down situations a decent amount because he's a very good blocker. He's a very good pass protector there. Um, and then obviously he has the ability to kind of get out on check down and, and kind of release out. Uh, underneath there if he he isn't needed in pass protection Um, and so I think that's a good role for him and then yeah I do think you can still see him move around I mean the tight ends we talked about even though they've added some guys I mean Kittle I think to me uh, it would be a surprise if he's not tight end one going into the season but then you look at the other guys right Vance McDonald may not be there we know they want to get rid of him Um, Garrett Selleck isn't very good Blake Bell is a project Logan Paulson's a blocker Cole Hikatini, I think, has, you know, again, was somebody that we pointed out has some upside, but you do have to remember he's an undrafted free agent. So, you know, and, and it's and still, also a liability as a blocker. Yeah. And, and so there there are still a lot of question marks there. While I think we could end up with a better group than we had last year, you know, beyond Kittle, there's he's the most complete guy. I think he's the one that has the firmest role. Um, and then so I still think you see some opportunity for Juszczyk to come in, be the second tight end in some packages. Um, you know, especially when they want to go more run heavy stuff or look to to throw the ball out of run heavy sets um, to where you still get that run pass threat. Right. So I, I think that his role doesn't really change a whole lot. They're going to use him as a you know tight end, use him as a back in the backfield and third down situations, um, use him as a receiver. So I, I think all that kind of stays the same. I don't think he was really affected too much. So let's talk about the depth chart a little bit then, if that's the the pin in the running back discussion. And we got a question from. Uh, Mr. Booker, DL at DL Book on Twitter. Uh, I, I'm gonna, you know, we're really good at names on this <laughs> podcast. If there's one thing you know about this podcast, you're gonna get accurate name pronunciation. Um, I think it's DeQuain. DeQuain Booker on Twitter says, "Is this the end of Ellington before he gets started with all the new slot receivers we added?" And you know, I, I really do think it is the beginning of the end. Uh, well, I think the beginning of the end was the fact that he got injured, even. The very, very first chance at camp, the very first chance that he had, he's injured again. He had a soft tissue injury. And and I have no idea why or how, 
But we've said it before on the podcast. I think health is a skill at some point. There is some randomness to injury, but there's a reason that some people don't get as injured as often as others. And Ellington just happens to have that injury bug, and I'm not entirely sure why. But I do think he's got a big old target on his back. And at the end of the year, I think that Ellington is not a, a focal point of the offense or, or really you know, someone who's, who's made a, a splash on the roster despite the fact that he is physically gifted, is a great athlete, and as long as he gets on the field, can, has shown that he can perform. Yeah, I, I mean, his opportunity was really last year, right? I think that was the the chance for him to kind of kind of make a mark and show what kind of things that he can do on the field and, and some of the versatility that we think he brings. Um, and I think it's going to be tough, yeah, because you come in now with this new regime and, you know, obviously there's no tie to him. Um, and I, I don't think that, you know, uh, they're bringing in all these other slot guys because, well, they feel really comfortable about what Bruce Ellington brings, right? They, they may feel, feel that he brings enough to the table, that they're willing to let him compete and, you know, obviously be there for training camp and see what happens. But um, yeah, I think you look at guys like Trent Taylor, you know, they felt comfortable enough with Curly to re-sign him. Um, he has some serious competition. And I, I think ultimately those other guys are a little bit better fit for the way um, that you see kind of that slot role utilized in Shanahan scheme compared to something um, like he might've been able to do with Chip Kelly last year. So yeah, I think he's a, he's a talented guy. I kind of hope that he lands somewhere and, and can, you know, find an offense that, that is able to utilize him and that he can stay on the field and, and be healthy. But, um, yeah, I, I think at this point it's kind of a long shot that he's on the final 53 to me. What sucks is that he fits the mold of the type of player that Shanahan wants a, a plus athlete that play that was a multi-sport athlete. I mean, he did play basketball at South Carolina and so he's someone who does kind of fit the mold of someone that would be picked up or that would be drafted or that would be on the roster. I think it's just a numbers game at this point. And between the money they gave Curly and the fact that Trent Taylor was Shanahan's draft crush, I think the writing is indeed on the wall. So speaking of Trent Taylor, Chris Sanchez uh, asks, how much of an impact do you envision Trent Taylor having with his little baby tiny hands? I think those tiny hands are going to be on the field, man. They're going to be catching passes. Uh, I don't understand his tiny hands. I, I have hands that are three quarters of an inch bigger than Trent Taylor. I have trouble palming a high school football. I don't <laughs> understand how he does it. I just don't. Cause when you watch his film, the guy catches everything that nothing, nothing gets by the guy. Absolutely nothing. And I look and I look at his little Trumpian hands and then I look at mine and I'm like, man, I got big hands. And then I hold like a Pop Warner football and I'm just like, Jesus, this is hard. This is not okay. <laughs> oh, man. So many things are worth touching on. But uh, I, I think I, I think Trent Taylor is going to have a role, man. I, I think uh, I, he he has just kind of a knack for getting open. You know, he he's able to kind of separate at the top of routes. He's going to be somebody that's a reliable option. I mean, you mentioned uh, just the, the lack of drops. He was targeted nearly 400 times in his college career, like 397 had 12 drops in three years. Like it's insane. Dude had like a 3% drop rate over his career. Um, so pretty sure Vance McDonald had 12 drops in one game. <laughs> yeah. That's like a good half for Vance McDonald. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think he's uh he's a guy. I mean, obviously, you know, you mentioned the draft cut crush thing with Shanahan and, and so we know that, that he likes him. Um, and I just, yeah, I think it's kind of like having, you know, having a player like him in the slot is, is almost like what you hear is that, that cliche thing about having a good tight end for, for a quarterback, for like a young quarterback, or maybe a quarterback that's not as 
as talented, you know, I don't know, somebody like Brian Hoyer, maybe. Um, and it's, it's the, that kind of safety valve, right? The, the player that just kind of finds a way to get open in the middle. It's right in, in the quarterback's vision, easy for him to find. Um, and, and I think Trent Taylor can be that guy. Like he, uh, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna challenge, you know, I don't know if he's, if he's there right away. Um, you know, I don't, you know, Curly, I think is a talented player, right? He played well in, in some pretty shitty circumstances last year. So I think, you know, he's, he's going to, to be there and be in the conversation for sure. But I like Trent Taylor a lot. I think he's going to be a, a, a solid player. Craig Fernicola asks us what our prediction on the interior offensive line is for the starters in the scheme. Uh, is it Garnett, Zuta, Kilgore? Is, are those the best three? Uh, so, you know, I mean, really, yeah, I think those are the yeah. best three. Like that's, that's, I mean, that's pretty open and shut. I think Zutat center Garnett and then Kilgore kicks out to guard. That is an improvement. I think at two positions, I think that's an improvement over Beatles, which I tweeted out a clip that uh, I think Charles McDonald tweeted out when he was looking at, at some Atlanta film and it just, it's Marcus Martin was playing center and it's just, Oh God, it's a massacre on the inside. It's not okay. And and so, yeah, so I think it's Garnett, Zutak, Kilgore. I think those are the best three, open and shut, easy. Yeah, I think Garnett gets the first chance um, just because of, of kind of the pedigree there. I am not as, like, some people are kind of penciling him in as, as a, you know, it's a former first-round pick, yada, yada, yada. And I don't know, man, he was he was terrible last year. And, and I, uh, you know, we talked about it last year, even after the draft, and in terms of kind of questioning the fit a little bit when it when it comes to the zone scheme as opposed to you know the the t- sort of power scheme i mean at stanford they do a little bit of everything you know they have a a, a a fairly multiple like run offense but um they're, they're definitely you know more gap scheme more power counter heavy um than some of the zone stuff especially you know outside zone heavy that we're going to be here and, and i think last year it was easier to talk yourself into it, it was, okay it's you know it, it's more inside zone so it's more kind of power drive blocks that you're getting that I think fit his style a little bit more. This is getting out on the move where um, he's not, you know, he can, he can move well in a straight line. You know, you see him like just end up like well, that's what I was some of those say guys is up. When we broke him down, when he came out in the draft, we said, you know, he was one of the best pulling guards in, in, in the draft. Really? He was the best pulling guy. And if he, he was on the move, he could get out in space and, and he can do that kind of stuff. And when you think about that outside zone, he, I mean, he's moving in a straight line. He, he's going one way. But the thing that you're going to have to deal with is guys. So like a lot of uh, against outside zone teams, you'll see um, defensive lines stunt a lot. Right. So all of a sudden you'll have this guy, um, you know, the, so say uh, like, for example, he's at left guard and he's got a three technique. So he's got somebody outside. They're going to run his direction, running to the left. So he would have to try to reach that guy. Right. Would he be his assignment? But all yeah. of a sudden, if they slant, the opposite way they slant the defensive line to the offense is right he's got to be able to kind of redirect and like very quickly so he thinks that he needs to you know kind of hustle out and get to the outside of this guy and turn him back in and now all of a sudden on the fly he's got to be able to kind of adjust that movement and redirect and be able to pin him inside and not allow that penetration um so yeah i think in some situations that you, you think the offensive line all on on that kind of string moving laterally down the line of scrimmage but He's going to have to be able to to kind of redirect a little bit more and, and show more, um, you know, kind of change of direction skill, which I think that's where he struggles. You know, again, you get him, uh, you know, teeing up a guy in a straight line where he can just kind of get moving downhill and he's going to like demolish that dude. Uh, I just don't know that the movement skills that he needs in this scheme is there. So 
Um, you know, I, I think, yeah, he gets the first shot. I think he's a talented player and could be a very good player in the right scheme. I just don't know that this is the right spot for him. So Oscar Querty, and I had to include this one mostly because we share a name. Uh, but he asked what our prediction is on the starting defensive line, their position and responsibilities. We won't have enough time to go into the responsibilities, but let's talk about the starting defensive line. And I think what we should start doing, and David, let me know if you agree, is we should start listing the starting defensive line as the defensive line that we think is going to line up in nickel. Yes, because that's, that's, that's the one that matters. That's the starting defensive line. Yeah, yes. that's that's going to play 65, 70% of snaps. The, you're you're going to hear the term base a lot, but base is the the plays that's three out of ten plays. So let's focus on really the, the the important part, which is you know nickel defense, which is what we're going to play most of the time. Who do you think are your starting four if we're aligned in in a four two five? Um, so I think your best four are DeForest Buckner, Eric Armstead, Solomon Thomas, Aaron Lynch. I think those are your your most you know with Lynch. There's some question marks there, but. Um, I, I think when he's right, you know, if he's when he's on the field, um, you know, he is he was a talented guy like he he was had a strong couple first seasons. He was somebody that was able to consistently get pressure. So I think he's still in that group, you know, uh, the top four. And then I think outside of Lynch being clearly one of your edge guys, I think the the value in having those other threes, you can kind of mix and match. They all can rush from the in, the inside. I think in certain situations, they can all rush from the outside. You know, ideally, I would like to see Solomon Thomas more on the outside. Buckner, Armstead is your primary in, inside guys. Um, they seem intent on on trying out this Eric Armstead thing as an edge defender. Um, I'm very skeptical about that and his ability to kind of succeed on a consistent basis out there. Um, but, you know, hey, they're going to let it roll. And so I think you're going to see more of that configuration where it's it's Armstead on the outside, Buckner and Thomas is your inside guys. I think that's at least going to be what they roll with to start from the sounds of things. Um, but I think you have flexibility with those three. So I think those are your best four. I think other than Lynch, how you align them um, isn't that big of a deal. I think you, you kind of can mix and match a little bit. You can You can do some different things with those guys. I agree 100% with the top four. And I do all I'm, I'm really weirded out by this whole Eric Armstead at Leo thing. I just or yeah. at the, kind of the weak side edge guy. I, I've tweeted out a couple of, of times his mock draftable comp because it just does not make sense. And while I agree that that athleticism isn't the only thing that describes a player's production, you really have to look at what an edge defender is asked to do. And it's usually speed and explosion in that first five yards, which is why. And it's bend around the edge, which is why the. The three cone and the shuttle and the 10 yard split are super important. And when you look at Eric Armstead, those numbers are abysmally low when compared to other edge defenders. And, and so I just, if he did it, he would break the mold at edge defender. And the likelihood of you having someone that would break the mold at that position, I think, is just very low. So I agree, those are probably your top four. And, and that's probably where they're going to end up with uh, Eric Armstead and, and Buckner on the inside and Thomas and Lynch on the outside. Yeah. And, and I think it's just a very quick, you know, for those because that they people ask about it. It's been a, a big topic of conversation in the the quote unquote base. I think very quickly from the sounds of things, um, this is what it's going to be. Is it's going to be Thomas as your strong side guy? I think it's going to be um Earl Mitchell. Earl Mitchell, thank you, at the nose. So at your one technique, I think it's going to be Buckner at the three. And then I guess Eric Armstead uh, is on the weak side at, at your Leo spot. 
Um, if it were me, I would do if it, if I were putting them out there right now, I would do Buckner at five, Earl Mitchell, Eric Armstead at three, Solomon Thomas uh, at Leo. That's kind of I think that is is the configuration that, that makes most sense to me based on what I've seen. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's I guess how it seems like they're going to roll things out to start. That's, I think, the thing that's most interesting to me is their insistence on it's almost like. And I don't want to get too far into this because we've got a whole half of a show to get to, but it almost seems like this is what happens when you have a coach that is trying to imitate someone else's scheme and doesn't really create the and doesn't really understand really the nuances of the scheme themselves, because it just seems like they're trying to put. Solomon Thomas in that Michael Bennett role, irrespective of what other things they've got. And Michael Bennett plays the five technique and then he moves to three technique on passing downs. And it seems like that's just what they're going to do with Solomon Thomas. When I think if you were to look at all of the pieces, you think to yourself, well, we drafted this guy cause he's an athlete. If you look at his college tape, he's, you know, he doesn't really hold up well against double teams and guess where you don't get double teams, the weak side of the offensive line it just seems like they're trying to to fit him into that because that's what Pete Carroll did with Michael Bennett, and he looks and feels a lot like Michael Bennett. So you might as well play him exactly like they played Michael Bennett, and and that to me is is not someone who truly understands the nuances of the defense they're running, but it's just thinking, well, that looks like a square peg, that looks like a square hole. Let's go ahead and do that, and not like looking at the whole thing that you have at your disposal. Yeah, I, I think the last thing there too is I. I don't think that you have to have all three of them on the field in those situations in order for all three to have value, right? We talked about DeForest Buckner playing just an absurd number of snaps last year, and that's not ideal. Like, I don't think that's something you generally want. You know, you don't want a defensive lineman playing 90 plus percent of your snaps. So I think if you can say that, all right, of these three players, we're going to try to have two of them on the field almost at all times, and they're going to occupy the strong side, the end and the three technique spots. And we're going to roll with two of them there, you know, at 95% of the time, then I think you're good because, you know, once again, you're talking about a smaller subset of your plays. And then you talk about moving to, to your nickel and your sub packages. It's the same thing there. I think it's, it's much easier to get all three of them on the field at the same time. And you can still have a, a rotational element where as long as you got two of them out there, you know, you're, you're going to be in, I think fairly good shape. So, uh, I, I think you can see a situation where they all play somewhere between 65 to 75% of the snaps. And I think they all have a lot of value playing that number. Let's get to some general predictions then. And this is going to be our next segment here. You've got Niners AO who asked, give me this year's breakout player could be on either side of the ball uh, and, and who might be a surprising cut. Uh, so David, who do you think this year's breakout player is going to be? I think it's Jimmy Ward, man, for me. Um, you know, I guess I don't know that rookies do rookies really qualify as a breakout. I, I think I'm going to kind of leave them out of the conversation. I think rookies um, can be breakout players. I mean, yeah, Dak, Pre- Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, they were breakout players this year. Even if some of that was expected on one half and not expected on the other, I think Dak would be more of a breakout, uh, breakout player, but a player who was not there before and is now. Yeah. I don't know. To me, I think I think I'll still go with Ward. I, you know, I think I'll leave out the rookie class um, just because, you know, I think we're really high and I think we could end up with as many as like, I don't know, four or five, six guys maybe as a really, really, really best case scenario um, that end up as like starters or have significant roles. 
Um, I just like the move uh, to, to free safety for Jimmy Ward. Like, I think it's going to be really good for him. I think he's a talented player. I think this is his best fit, right? The, of he can, He's shown that he can do kind of a variety of things well. You know, he even held up pretty well on the outside. Um, and I think that's probably his worst fit. Uh, and, and so, you know, as somebody that can play in the slot, play outside, play safety, I think this is his best fit here. And, and I think that he's going to have an opportunity um, to, to finally kind of break out and be in position to get some more big plays where, where people are recognizing him a little bit more because of those splash plays. So I, I like that pick. I think it's a good one. Um, but I do think that for me, I'm going to actually pick a wide receiver. And I'm going to pick a wide receiver because the 49ers have not had a wide receiver that's been truly successful in that big, flashy kind of way in a very, very long time. And I don't think this player is going to be, you know, an 1,100, 1,300-yard receiver. But I do think that he is going to fill a role on a team that's probably going to pass a shit ton because they're going to be down a lot in an offense that can scheme people open. And if you look at his career thus far, he's never broken 323 yards. And I think that's going to be Aldrick Robinson. So that that's my guy. I think he's going to play on the outside. I think he's going to play a full season. He'll be healthy. He'll be a starter. And when you look at his 2016 year with the Falcons, he averaged 16.2 yards per reception, had two touchdowns, 20 receptions. I think that's the kind of, if you kind of extrapolate that and don't put him on a team where you have two clear starting receivers, all of a sudden he's the guy who's getting those reps. He's the guy who's getting those yards. And, and I think he ends up with probably like a seven, 800 yard season at least and that's, I mean, considering the fact that he had a 300 year, 300 yard year before, I think that's that's as close to breakout as you're going to get for wide receivers. Yeah, it just feels like somebody's, you know, it can't just all be Pierre Garçon, right? Like if if you have exactly if you have exactly. competent quarterback play, which I think I think hopefully we can get. I think Brian Hoyer is like, you know, he's not great, he's competent. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I think uh, I think he hopefully he's you know can there's a, a willingness there to throw the ball downfield. Uh, more so than what we've seen from 49ers quarterbacks over the last couple of years. Uh, and I think, yeah, as long as you have that, Aldrich Robinson is, is I think, a, a pretty solid call because I think he makes the most sense is that that guy opposite Pierre Garçon on the outside. All right, so Stefan, our, our man Stefan from Scandinavia, he says, who will win? And I always forget whether it's like Sweden, Norway, or Finland. He's going to get real mad at me because I forget every time he asks a question. <laughs> but it might even be Germany for all I know. Shit, I don't know. Um, but he asks, who will win training camp, dominate the preseason, and yet not make the 53? I feel like this is like the Corey Sheets Award. This is this uh, is this is that this is the the Michael. What is it? Was it, who? It wasn't Michael Thomas. It was it was Thomas something. It was the running back with the last name Thomas. Either way, who's that guy, David? I don't know, man. This is tough, just because where the roster is at right now, I think it's just hard to see somebody like going out and crushing it in the preseason and not making the roster. Right. There's just like, there's not 53 good players on this roster. So if one goes out and kind of crushes it like that, like I think they're probably going to be on the team. Um, I don't know. I'm scrolling through here and I just don't see any like really great camp. I guess if I had to pick, if I had to pick a position group, I would probably go with wide receiver is one of those just because there's so many of them that I could see one of them kind of going out and having a big preseason, but ultimately like not, you know, being somebody that they envision is, is a good fit in the offense or something that they want to keep around long-term or something like that. But I don't know. Do you have anybody? Is there anybody that sticks out to you? 
No, the only position I can think of is running back simply because of the system we're going to be in. Yeah. And so I think of like those, those like kind of late bottom of the roster running backs. And you think of like the Capri bibs, the Tim Hightowers, who's probably going to play with the second or third unit. And he is better than a second or third unit. He's, he's a good NFL player. But so Breed is the guy, right? Breed is the guy that's going to go out and crush it in training camp and dominate the priest. I like, I, but he's going to make, but he's going to make the 53. Yeah. I bet I, I I, like, I would almost, I would probably, would I would what? probably bet that he's going to be the leading preseason rusher. Like, I think Joe Williams gets some, you know, some touches there. I don't think he's like good enough to get, uh, you know, protected status or anything like that, to where he's not getting a ton of preseason work. But I, yeah, I, I would, I would guess that Breida is probably the leading rusher in the preseason. So yeah, I right. think he fits that mold, except for the last part. He's going to make the roster. All right, that's our first candidate for call to action. Breida, Breida, the leader. <laughs> see, see what I did there? See what I did there? Leader with an H. L-E-D-A-H. I do unfortunately see what you did there. Brita, the leader. All right. Luke Walsh asks, who are your rebirth candidates, if any? Uh, he threw out some samples for you in case you did not know. This is like the, the mall where they give you samples of food. Uh, Tank, Aaron Lynch, Hyde. Don't understand how that's a rebirth, but uh, Jaquiski Tart. Uh, who's, who's the rebirth candidate, David? None. There are, there are no rebirth. I think this is the year that we finally put some of the guys like Tank that have been, you know, quote, this is the year he's finally going to break out. He was really good in college. You know, don't don't forget that was like four years ago. Uh, it's like, I don't think there are any. I, I think this is the year we finally see those guys leave. Like, I don't think T- Tank Carradine has a spot on this roster. He's just not a good football player at this point. Like, again, we've seen him. It's been four years. A variety of different roles. And yeah, some of it's, it hasn't been the greatest of circumstances for him. I get it. I just haven't seen anything to make me excited about his his you know potential in in a new another new scheme. So um, I I don't see any rebirth guys because yeah, like you mentioned there briefly, I, I, Hyde to me isn't a guy that really fits there. Um, and I, I think you're going to see a lot of those guys finally you know head out the door. The only player that I would put here, and and I don't know that he necessarily qualifies as a rebirth player, but I think it's someone who is finding what will I think likely be a really solid fit for him is Eric Reed. And and he won't put up numbers and stats that will maybe put him that will vault him to that rebirth status. Yeah. But I do think that the in the box safety is a solid fit for what he can do and for his skill set. And so when I think you know if you zoom forward to this time next year and you think who was maybe one of the unsung heroes of the defense, I think it's probably going to be Eric Reed. One of those under the radar guys who who was a big part of the defense, who maybe had some question marks coming into the season about his role and what he was going to do, and ended up shining in this new scheme and new defense. So I think for me, it's it's going to be Eric Reed. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he was uh, I think maybe not on my radar as like a um, as a rebirth guy, but yeah, I think that actually makes a lot. You know, people are down on him. People are ready to move on. People are ready to, exactly. to throw in Jaquaski Tart. Um, and I think Eric Reed is. Look, I, I we really like Tart. Like, uh, I think we were kind of among the first to identify what his potential role is kind of being that dollar linebacker and um, seeing some time there and, and all of those things. So I think he's a yeah, he's a player that we like and I want to see good things from. But Eric Reed is a more talented football player. Um, yep. I don't really think there's too much question about that to me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think he'll do very well. All right, let's hit him with the lightning round. Uh, and I think at this point, 
we're going to try and get through this as quickly as possible because we've got a whole, let's see, one, two, three other sections, including the random section, which is my favorite. But let's get through this lightning round really quickly. Yes or no, Alex, a dual threat QB, one of our favorite Twitter fans, he asks, if you can pick a player on defense to tackle Trump at full speed, which player would you pick? Go. Ruben Foster. Done. Abs- I, absolutely. That was exactly my number one as well. <laughs> All right. Chris Cuban asks, over or under, two and a half years before the Niners see the playoffs again? And over. Ooh, that's a good one. So, I, yeah, I think before they see the playoffs again, uh, you know what? Just for shits and giggles, I'll take the under. I think they're challenging them too. I don't think it's there yet. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're talking think... rookie quarterback still. Year two of the rookie quarterback. I, I can I can start to buy in at that point. Yeah. All right. Danny Braves asks, is it true that 50% of moms are below <laughs> average? Yes. False. 50% of moms are exactly average, which means that they are not below average. Hashtag math. Uh, oh. Number three. Osiris Estrada asks, do you think Kaepernick fits into Seattle's offense? Uh, I, yeah, kind of, I guess. Like, I, I think, yes. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with yes. Lightning round, yes. Yeah, I, I'm going to go ahead and say mostly um, because they do have zone read elements. They do have a lot of uh, deep throwing. But the problem is that they have no offensive line. And we know what Kaepernick looks like when... Uh, is not Russell Wilson. Nope. Uh, so, yeah. So it, the question wasn't, does he fit into Seattle's scheme? It was, does he fit into Seattle's offense? And so I'm going to go ahead and say no. Uh, but that doesn't mean that he shouldn't go there because I think that's the best team for him. All right. Uh, Hin- Hin- Hinderman. Hinderman. Hindi, I guess. Uh, which of the following players will have the biggest impact in 2017-2018? Ronald Blair, Dante Johnson, or DeAndre Smelter? Uh, I'll go Ronald Blair. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. I, you know, I, yeah, you're probably right. You know, yeah, Dante Johnson, though, just because I like Dante Johnson. I think this is finally a defense that fits what he can do. Uh, and I think he's the, at this point, third best cornerback on the team. I think, um, I think so. Ronald Blair is, uh, he, I think he's going to, gonna, bar an injury, see more snaps. I think he's a good, yeah. you know, he, I think he's probably yeah. going to be the primary backup at, at three technique. Um, and I could see him doing well in, in, the, in that role. So, yeah, I think he's going to have the most opportunity. And Sean Lewis with the uh, the winner here. Would you subject yourself to nine drunken prospecting episode one outcomes if it meant the 49ers finish with a nine-win season? For those of you that are not familiar, we did a, our first go-around of drunken prospecting was Mike Williams, wide receiver from Clemson. And at the end, uh, we have the greatest, I think, moment of the Better Rivals podcast to date. And that was David Newman uh, just literally stop all human function and say, I'm about to throw up and, and walk off camera. So David, would you subject yourself to, uh, that wicked hangover for nine wins? No, nine wins. Get the fuck out of here with nine wins. (laughs) I would have to seriously think about, I felt awful the next day app, like wanted to die the next day. Um, so, I mean, we'd have to like seriously be talking at least Super Bowl birth. Um, but before I'm even consider, before I'm even like looking at your offer, like taking a peek, you know, under the, under the card there, see what you wrote on that. Uh, yeah, nah, no, just not, yeah. not happening. I didn't, not you know, I didn't feel terrible. Uh, I wouldn't do it either. Not because of the way I felt, but mostly because nine wins, uh, that's, that's some bullshit. 
<laughs> I, like, give me, give me, give me playoffs. Give me ten wins. We ain't here for the give nine me. and seven bullshit. Yeah, no, we're not. We're we're not Jeff. We're not drinking to be Jeff Fisher. Is what <laughs> I'm saying. Uh, all right, let's get to our next segment: X's and O's. So Joe Wilka, another one of our of our Twitter followers that we love so much, uh, he says, "How do you see the Sam and Leo positions differentiating themselves from each other personnel wise?" Um, so one, I think it's important to clarify that these are two separate positions, which uh, some out there, I don't know, that are covering the team on a day to day basis almost, uh, and that may or may not have gotten called out by Chip Kelly in a press conference for not knowing what the hell he's talking about. Um, seems to think <laughs> that these are the same thing. Uh, and they are very much not. So Sam, just to, to, uh, to clarify for those that, uh, that are unfamiliar, Sam is your strong side linebacker in this scheme. He's predominantly going to be again, when they're in base, when they're, they have uh, their four, three personnel, he's going to be on the line of scrimmage to the tight end side. Uh, Leo is on the complete opposite end of the defense, right? He's, he's your weak side defensive end. Um, he's the guy on the line of scrimmage at the opposite side. I think it Leo, again, we talked about there's there's kind of this divide here between what we think that is probably the best fit and what it seems like they are going to at least try out at first. Seems like they're going to try out Eric Armstead, see what happens there. I think Solomon Thomas, um, you know, Aaron Lynch, I think those type of guys from what they have on the roster are better fits. Um, it's Sam, I think, is interesting because... I think Ahmad Brooks seems to be the guy that everybody wants to slot in there right now. And I, and I do think that makes sense. Like that is his, his role. Um, if he ends up on the field, the scenario with linebacker that I'm interested in, I forget if we talked about this at any point before, but, uh, I, I think so to me at linebacker, if we talk about that scenario, right, who are your best guys? And then how do we get those best guys on the field and what configuration the three best are Bowman Foster. And I think Ray Ray Armstrong is the guy that I'm putting at that third spot. And if if I'm trying to configure those three players, then all of a sudden Navarro Bowman probably becomes your sandbacker, Foster becomes your middle, and then uh, Ray Ray becomes the weak side guy, the will. Um, so it's interesting. I don't know if they, if that's something that they're going to do or something that they're going to look at. I haven't heard a whole lot on that front. Um, but those are, I think, the, your type of players, right? Ahmad Brooks, think him, you know, somebody, he's, he's got to be able to drop out into coverage. He's going to have some coverage responsibilities there. Leo, I barely even have run responsibility. My my job is to to get after the passer. Uh, that is kind of the first thing on my mind. So that's kind of the difference in in uh, role there, I guess. All right. So real reels Niner fan. I was about to say real Z Niner fan, but I don't think that's what he meant. Uh, the, the 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 crux of his question. He asked about depth chart for running back and wide receiver, but we've talked about that for a bit. Uh, but what's your what's the most exciting aspect of this new look defense? Because uh, I know what it is for me. And, and for me, the most exciting aspect is probably just the secondary and the fact that the secondary, it looks and feels like a schematic fit for the types of players that we have. When you look at, you know, Akella Witherspoon, you look at Rashad Robinson, you look at Dante Johnson, you look at Jimmy Ward, you look at Eric Reed, Jaquaski Tart. They are all very clear fits for this defense where as before you think of you know Mangini's scheme and it was kind of all over the place it started one way and then it kind of morphed into something else I was like well okay I think this makes sense and then under Jim O'Neill the defense was you know non-existent so I, I don't know that you had much of anything this is a year where I think to myself yeah the pieces make sense it makes sense that Jimmy Ward is your free safety it makes sense that Witherspoon is is starting it makes sense that Richard Robinson despite the fact that he still needs to eat a cheeseburger uh, is going to be out there starting I, th- I think that's the part for me that's most exciting because these pieces if they develop um, and, and or continue developing in some cases 
they have the potential to be legitimately legitimately awesome. Yeah, I that would probably be my pick as well. Um, you know, I think we're th- this season. You know, I, I certainly have some high hopes for them, but I think really if we can keep this group together, right, it's next season, you know, the 2018 season where you can really start to see this group kind of come into their own and, and I think be potentially very good, uh, you know, if things break the right way for them. I'll go um, uh, the, the other direction. The other thing, I guess, the the 1B that I would point to is, uh, is probably the D-line, you know, and looking at the, those kind of three number one picks um, that they have up there. And I think being in a scheme that now allows them to be more aggressive. I'm, I'm really interested in seeing like Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner now in, in a, a scheme that is designed to kind of get them upfield quickly. Um, you know, because I think sometimes like Eric Armstead, for instance, could do that, uh, you know, in the, the previous scheme kind of to his detriment, right? That wasn't really what his job was supposed to be on that play. And, you know, yeah, if you freelance a little bit and you make a play, that's fine. But a lot of times he was, uh, or at least appeared to be freelancing and then kind of getting out of position and, and putting the defense in a bad spot. So I think um, now it's going to be a little bit easier for him to take some of those chances, right, and to, to look to penetrate a little bit more. Um, so I think, yeah, just kind of seeing those guys uh, being taken out of this 3-4 scheme that's maybe a little bit more read and react. You know, there's not as much two-gapping going on in 3-4 defenses uh, these days as there used to be. You know, most of them are, are really predominantly one gap at this point, but... Still, I think there's a there's a different mindset when you go from from three four to four three, and it's really more of an attack mindset in the scheme that they're bringing. So, um, I think yeah, seeing those guys kind of unleash a little bit is going to be interesting. All right, so let's go to player fit, and we've already got some questions about the defensive line, which we tackled a little earlier in the show. So, Henry Elizondo, you got our configuration for how we're going to rush the quarterback on passing downs, but Andrew Huffman asks who we like best for the Leo role. And we talked about it briefly before when we talked about Solomon Thomas as the weak side, but let's talk a bit about why we think that's the case. And let's, and let's really think about, or let's really unpack what Bennett does in that Seattle defense, because I think even I've made the mistake of calling Bennett, the Leo in Seattle's defense. And that's not really true. And when you look at the way the 49ers are using Solomon Thomas, at least early in camp, they are using him at the five technique at the strong side defensive end, which is where Bennett goes. Um, and so, it, David, if you had your pick of the Leo, who would it be and, and why and why, basically? So I think it would be Solomon Thomas for me. Um, you know, I, th- I think he has the athleticism to kind of potentially rush up the edge there. I'm not, you know, because he's been somebody that's played primarily inside uh, in his career or not really rushing out the edge a whole lot. I think there is um, some development that needs to happen there, but I think he has the tools, right? You look at some of the things that he does on tape and um, one, the burst off the ball is excellent Two, I think he's got pretty good hand usage for, for a college player. You know, that's something uh, that, that basically every D lineman needs to work on coming in the league. But uh, I, I think he's in a pretty good spot there. Um, and then, again, the athleticism is there. I, I, and, I, and I think you see some of the movement skills at times in the run game. You know, you see him the way that he kind of bends around a blocker in the run game to go chase down, the, you know, the ball carrier from the backside, for instance. There are things like that that kind of jump out that makes you think that he could learn to, to be able to bend around the edge on the outside. You know, he hasn't had to do it a whole lot, so I don't think he's going to come in and get like 10, 12 sacks right off the top. Um, but I, I think that could be a good trajectory for him. Um, and so he would be, I think my guy in the roster. I mean, ideally I think, yeah, I, 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 I 
probably want to put him at it. I guess the, you know, go the Michael Bennett role, put him on the strong side. If I had another better option at Leo, like if I had kind of a more undersized Cliff Averill, Vic Beasley style of player, but they don't have that right now. So, um, yeah, I think he's the best option at this point. And then if you do put him there, I think Buckner is your best option at the, uh, the, the big end. Yeah, I think the problem for me is that you have Armstead Buckner and Thomas who all seem to fit that big that big role, yep. that that five technique role. And so if you've got a wealth of options there, then you begin to think to yourself, okay, who can do something else? And and I think that the straightest line to someone who can do something else is Thomas at Leo. Yeah. It's Thomas at weak side, especially when you look at the way he holds up or in some cases doesn't against double teams. You know where you never see double teams? The weak side. You don't have to worry about that. All you all you can do is use your athleticism, which he's got in spades, to get upfield and get to the quarterback. So we'll see what ends up happening. But I, I, there's one stat that I found on the old interwebs from PFF that wasn't about last season, but the season before. If the Niners are indeed set on using Bennett or on using Thomas in the Bennett role, uh, Michael Bennett actually lines up between the tackles, and this I think is data from two years ago. Uh, he lined up between the tackles 61.4 percent of the time. Uh, than he did outside. That's a higher rate than Muhammad Wilkerson and J.J. Watt. So Bennett really was used as a between-the-tackles player six out of ten times, mostly because that's probably where he lines up on passing downs. Uh, because and so they're if, in nickel. Because, exactly. again, the, all this base stuff is is really a lot of energy over something that's not going to matter as much. It, it matters what you do in the sub packages, what you're doing in nickel. Again, right there, Michael Bennett's playing most of his time inside because they're in nickel most of the time. And so what's interesting to me about that is you move Thomas inside on pass rushing downs, then if that's the case and he's not on the weak side, then you're looking at someone like an Eric Armstead or you're looking at someone like an Aaron Lynch on the outside that you want to rush. And, and that, gets, that gets incredibly interesting uh, because I, I don't know that you've got someone who fits that role. I mean, you look at the, the, who's the the undrafted player that we drafted out of Utah? I think his uh, Nwakachu, Noble Nwakachu. He's really the only other guy that might be able to line up on the outside and, and create some pressure. What did you but, just call me? I don't even know what. what? <laughs> I, I thought you were talking about like Peter T's the other guy. Like so, he's the the one I oh, went to that's grab. Right. It was Peter. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, Nwakachu's not the guy. No, I mean he is a, a defensive lineman who you know could play on the edge. But yes, no, I'm thinking of Peter. Yeah. Uh, I'm not even going to try and pronounce this last no, name. No, Peter T. Where is it? Peter Where is T. It? is his name. That is uh, that is the official better Tao Moapenu. I'm going to go ahead and guess Tao Moapenu. That's my guess. Sure. Lock it in. Yep. One dollar, Bob. One dollar. <laughs> All right. So Simon Traxel tweets, where does Aldrich Robinson fit? He just seems like an under-the-radar man he was in Atlanta. Man, it's like we could predict the future. Uh, Aldrich Robinson, my breakout player of the year. I'm calling it right now. Um, so we talked about him a lot uh, on, or not a lot, but we talked about on some previous shows where you might think because of his size and his, and his athleticism that he fits in the slot, but he, he seems to fit more of the outside wide receiver and is more of an outside wide receiver. So when you look at the configuration of wide receivers, you think Pierre Garcon is going to be one of the outside wide receivers. You've got Curly Taylor and Ellington battling for the slot guy. And then the other wide receiver is going to be, you know, someone like a Goodwin or someone like Aldrick Robinson. And based on what we've seen out of Robinson and Goodwin, I think Robinson's probably the better prospect there, despite the fact that Robinson has more speed. Um, or I'm sorry, Goodwin has more speed. So I think Aldrick Robinson fits as your outside wide receiver opposite of uh, opposite of someone like Pierre Garçon. 
Yeah, which I don't really think. I mean, it really seems to be Robinson and Goodwin that I think are the guys that that uh, are kind of in the lead for those spots. I, you know, I think Smelter is more of a fit for what uh, Garcon does. You know, I, he's a backup to Garcon. Yeah, yeah, if if he ends up doing anything, which again he could be gone. I don't even know if he's going to be on the roster. But if if he does make the roster, that's more his role. Um, and so yeah, I think Aldrich is just kind of a, a little bit more complete of a player. You know, he, he can do. Some more things, I think he's a little bit more refined as a route runner. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think he does have an edge there. But, yeah, definitely a, more of an outside guy. Don't let the size fool you. Um, he is the vertical threat, the guy that's going to hopefully kind of uh, stretch the defense and, and open things up underneath for guys like Garcon and guys like Trent Taylor. Adam Travato asks about one Mr. Will Redmond, uh, the third, I believe. He is indeed a third. Uh, Will Redmond was initially drafted as an inside nickel guy, or is he just being slotted there because he's the number three cornerback? So, David, is he someone who's able to cover the two-way go, or is he just the maybe the third best guy, and so he's the nickel? Um, I think he is a guy that projects best inside. Yeah, so I, I think that he was somebody that at least you know last year was uh, that was kind of what they had in mind was him to come in and play slot. Um, and especially now, again, with Jimmy Ward moving back to free safety, that is, uh, you know, a role that they need to find someone in. So, um, yeah, he's not I don't think just there because he's the the quote unquote third guy um, uh, on the depth chart right now. I don't even know if I would put him as the third guy, but he's he's definitely in consideration to be the slot guy. Um, and, and I think he'll be a good fit. Interesting thing as I was going back and watching uh, Trent Taylor um, film and uh, happened to to go watch the game that he played uh redmond came from mississippi state right yeah um and got to see some targets there and and trent taylor got the better of him uh quite a few times so it was interesting to watch those two go at it yeah i think redmond does indeed project inside it's the position he played last year and when he did come and play he was he was the backup to chris davis last year so he i do think he's someone who's better inside and and at this point the nickel corner is one of the starters. We're talking about nickel defense, right? And and he is he may not be it, it's its own position. So I, I don't I think you should stop thinking of the nickel corner as the third best player, the third best cornerback on the roster, and start thinking of it exactly like you would a slot player. And Trent Taylor fits in the slot. Jeremy Curley fits in the slot because there's a specific mold of player that fits in that in that role. And I think Redmond fits the same role on the opposite side of the ball, which is the defense where he is going to be able and going to need to be able to cover the two-way go. And I think he at least projects like he can do that very well. So Christopher Thomas also asked a question about the secondary on Facebook. He says, beyond Ward, how do both Reed and Tart fit into the defense both, both this year and beyond? And I think this is the interesting part of the question. Is one or both gone after this season? Um, I don't know that. I guess maybe if they, you know, fell in love with like a strong safety prospect in the draft or something like that, uh, you could see it. But I think based on what we know right now, um, I think that one of them is going to be there. I would be surprised if both are still here next year. Um, I think they're competing right there. I I think reads the thing that you can kind of count on with uh, this new regime coming in is kind of previous status and where you were drafted under Trent Baalke isn't really going to matter. So I think you have Reed and Tart that both fit as your your Cam Chancellor, your like strong safety in the box type. Um, and I think whoever kind of ends up winning that battle and uh, you know being pretty, you know, especially if they can come in and excel, you know, if, if one of them wins the battle, quote unquote, but they still come in and play like shit, then yeah, maybe they're looking for for someone else there. 
Um, but assuming, you know, one of them kind of stands out, plays well this season, um, and I think, yeah, you're probably going to see them move on from the other one because uh, it just doesn't, I don't know that it makes a ton of sense uh, to keep. I mean, it, you, you could you could keep Tart around. He's on his rookie deal. He's not making a ton of money, so maybe they hang on to him. But uh, I, I think it'll be fairly clear which of those guys that they are, are going to prefer. Yeah, I think Reed is now, he's got two years left on his deal because they picked up the fifth-year option. So you've got two years to figure out what Reed's going to do in this defense and I think Tart is a backup in that in that area. So you'll I think they'll figure it out and, and they'll go from there. But let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to the random questions because Alex is always good for a good one. A dual threat QB rears his ugly head again on the mailbag episode. And he asks, if you could do a Space Jam scenario and steal the powers of five different NFL players and give them to five 49ers, who would you pick and why? So I guess the question is, what superpower would you steal from an NFL player or what ability I'm going to go ahead and say in this case and an implant into the 49ers. And I would say you got to keep it to one, one trait to one player. You can't but just say, I'm going to take all of Aaron Rodgers players. That's not the space jam scenario though. They took all of the talent. So we, in that case, I'm taking all of Aaron Rodgers talents and giving yes, them Brian Hoyer. I'm taking Aaron Rodgers. You're basically just like, okay, who are the five best players in, in football that I want to uh, basically clone and put on my team? Um, I don't know. We, we can we can throw some caveats in there if you want. Do you want to stick with one trait? Um, we might have to, to think about this a little bit harder if it's one trait, though. Well, I, I think if we're going to take five traits and give them to one player, then or five traits and give them to all five players. Because that would be that would be some shit, right? Because you're you're talking about right now. Now you're talking about taking like you know Luke Keekley and putting him in Brian Hoyer. That doesn't make any sense. No. Yeah, I, basically what I would do is I would make the quarterback better, because that's what we need in order to win games. <laughs> so maybe let's just like who are our five players to you know defend planet Earth in a Space Jam scenario? I I'm gonna go ahead and make a startling admission here. I've never seen Space Jam. What? What is happening right now? Never? I've never seen... No, never. Okay, I, so I know the concept of Space Jam. I've seen the R. Kelly video, I believe I can fly, several times. And I feel like that's a good summary of the movie. <laughs> I mean, okay, so you know what the aliens do then, right? They come down... No, I don't know anything. You I don't. Michael you kind of know the premise like a little bit, right? Yeah, no? yeah, here's the premise. Michael Jordan is playing basketball with Bugs Bunny. Man. And they okay. may or may not be in space. Okay. So you got tiny. And R. Kelly believes that he can fly. You got tiny little aliens coming down. Just like little, just little shit. Like Marvin the Martians? Yeah, just little tiny guys. Um, and they steal the power of five NBA players and they become the monsters, right? So they become, they go from these puny little aliens to these big old jacked crazy aliens. And so. But is it like one power no, per alien? they steal the whole, they, all the talent out of that player and suck it in to the alien right huh. so yeah you're basically just taking five players complete abilities and putting them into somebody else um on the niners roster so yeah i mean quarterback we're taking aaron Rodgers, right so let's just kind of yeah. go through i think i'm taking julio jones is, is on is on my list i'm taking jj watt yeah i'm taking aaron donald and i'm taking I mean, if we're talking about the Niners and our defense, then you do, take, do you take Earl Thomas? Or do you take an offensive lineman? Because I'm, I'm looking at uh, the oh, left tackle from be... Dallas. 
That might be good. Um, if you take that, if you take, uh, if you take Taylor, right? I, I'm pretty sure that's actually. The left I'm going to go inside. So you know, I still still got faith in Joe Staley. Alex right? Mack. Um, I think. Ooh, yeah, Alex Mack. I was going to go um, uh, either Zach Martin or maybe even Travis Frederick. I think would be. Ooh, man, picking one of those guys. I think I would go. So just based on the construction, right? So n- I'm not necessarily saying that this is the best of the three. But I think guard is where I would want to pick more. So I think I'm going to go Travis, uh, or excuse me, um, Zach Martin. I think that would be my my last guy. Yeah, I think for me, especially given the the difference that Alex Mack made in Atlanta, I would just take Alex Mack. I would take him at the center spot, knowing what, knowing the type of engine that he was for Atlanta. That that's the guy that I would want running the offensive line. So at this point, we've got Aaron Rodgers, J.J. Watt, Julio Jones, Alex Mack, and Aaron Donald. Yeah, I feel yeah. I feel good about this. I feel really That's good. That's pretty about dope. This. Yeah. The only the only other, I mean, do we want given the fact that we don't have a Leo, do we want some kind of a Leo? Do we want someone like a big Beasley uh, or someone? Letting JJ Watt and Aaron Donald do all the damn work. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I call call them whatever the hell you want to. They're JJ Watt. They're the best two defensive linemen on the planet. I'm throwing them in there. They can line up wherever they want. I'm not even get them in position. I'm gonna say just go out there. You pick your spot. You just do whatever the hell you want to. Line up at safety and jump over the line like Troy Polamalu. <laughs> uh, all right, Tom uh, Omicron. Tom asked if you had to take ten snaps in an actual NFL game, what position would you take them at? I'm going to caveat this one as well. No special teams. No kicker. No punter. Go. Uh, man. Uh, I think I'm going to go, and this is probably a poor idea, but honestly, they're all poor ideas. Um, I'm going to probably go receiver. So the best one for my health, and you mentioned, and we, as we were talking this, uh, about this before the show a little bit, mentioned safety because you thought we had answered this question. I don't remember answering it before. Maybe we did. Safety from a health standpoint probably makes sense. I can just sit back there. I'm going to be single high. I'm like 20 yards deep. I ain't messing with anybody for 10 snaps, right? Um, but I actually like played receiver, so I feel like I, that's like where I would know what I'm doing the most, and then I would just get to the ground quickly, you know? I'd be in the slot, I'd try to do something, and then I just like get down, just get out of the way, don't kill me. Yeah, I, I would. So my initial brain as well went for me for running back because that's what I played in high school, and, and I thought to myself, yeah, you know what, running back, like you can't get hit that hard in such a short area. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, no, you can get hit real hard, real, real hard, real quick. Yep. So then I thought to myself, yeah, you know what, safety, because. I'll just follow the quarterback's eyes and go the opposite way of where he's going to throw <laughs> and then and then chase and then chase the worst, the receiver and be like, hey, you just scored a touchdown. You want to sign this football like that's I mean, that's that's my strategy. You just like, try, like, man, I gave good effort. I just couldn't quite track him down. You know? I just couldn't. I couldn't do it, man. This quarterback is really good. Just, this Jay Cutler guy. I just destroyed my eyeballs. ankle. OK, I was on a great yeah. path and he just destroyed my ankle. I wasn't ready for it. Jay Cutler is in the press box. What? You're not supposed to look at the press box quarterbacks? This is weird. All right. Smoothie Holland, uh, Hernandez J49, asks us, if we were hired as the new NFL commissioner, what changes would we make? God, so many. I don't think we have enough time. Uh, I mean, it, for, the first thing that I do is I'm getting rid of all of the celebration penalties. Like, Absolutely. They're Number one stupid. thing. 
Um, Absolutely. Celebrate all you want. Team celebrations, group celebrations, do whatever you want. As long as you're on the field and you were on the field when the play happened, celebrate away, my friend. Um, I'm going to stop pretending that weed is the same as domestic violence. That's probably number two. Um, I'm going to give players the ability to wear whatever fucking cleat they want. Oh, yeah. So I guess, yeah, I'm getting rid of. So within celebration, let's let's make that umbrella a little bit bigger. Um, and any sort of like fun hating things, anything that's like this makes no sense that this is an actual rule. Yeah, like uniform violations, um, celebrations, anything else that's stupid uh, that, that just is like should not be there. Throw them all under that. umbrella. Absolutely. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and get rid of the dumbass rule that says that if you're in college, you can't join your NFL team after you've been drafted because your school's in finals. That's a, that's dumb a good one. That's uh, that's mess us up two years in a row now. Yeah, that's absolutely stupid. Well, actually, no, because DeForest Buckner graduated. No, we had uh, Garnett. Oh, that's yeah. right. I forgot. Smart kids. Stanford people. Man. Uh, yeah, no, I would get rid of that rule because that rule is dumb as balls. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are a ton other ones. I would do a lot. I would expand the rosters. Uh, I, I would probably expand the rosters by, oh. I don't know, maybe maybe like two or three people yeah. at least. And I would get rid of Thursday games. I was going to say, getting, getting rid games. of Thursday night football. Absolutely. If Thursday yep. night football has gone, stupid. Um, yeah. I feel good about all yeah, that. Yeah, that pretty much covers it. Yeah. I think that's yep. good. All right. So vote for that's, us for that's, class that's president. Our, that's our core platform right there. That's our platform. Yeah. That's our agenda. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and we don't even have to force the FBI director to resign. <laughs> uh, so what's warmer? Martin Arthur Logan says, what's warmer? Levi's Stadium or Eddie Lacy? So I feel like there. I really wa- I wanted to avoid this one for a very specific reason because my question becomes: Are we talking about like parts of Eddie Lacy? Yeah, I'm really confused as to like why Eddie Lacy's warm. Is it just because he's like overweight and so he's got some extra body heat? Like, am I? That's what I'm saying. Like, do I like need to, folds? Or are you talking about like tucking under the flaps? I, like, what, do I what need to we... cut Eddie Lacy open and and crawl inside of him like a tauntaun or like you know what what is going? Like, why is Eddie Lacy warm? I don't. I don't understand either. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say with Levi Stadium because that place can get hot. I've been there in the sun. It can get roasty. I mean, Eddie Tonton Lacey seems like he'd be pretty warm. I'm I'm sure that Eddie Lacey's intestines are warm, (laughs) especially because, you know, MSG is conductive or whatever because China (laughs) food. But, yeah, I'm I'm going to go ahead and still say Levi Stadium. Sure. It's weird. I, if yeah, there's like, I, I feel like there's got to be something that we just missed. There's some reference there, right? No, it's he not... had a he had a garage sale for Packers fans. He has weight clauses in his contract, yeah, and yep. but that's about it. Like, that's it. All right. He got fifty five thousand dollars for weighing in under like two fifty two. Yeah, I mean that's reasonable. Put him in there. Yeah, not, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever floats your boat. But I think that does it for this week's edition, uh, this mailbag edition. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. It was uh, it was a lot of fun to to answer them. We got through a lot of stuff, uh, and it's been uh, it's been a hell of an episode. We're not going to be on the air for I think almost three weeks at this point. Uh, I'm going to be yeah. in We Paris on a vacation, and also to go uh, visit a friend of mine who's getting married in Corsica. So I will be out for three weeks. I think is what it is. And, and so if you've got any Paris recommendations, shoot them my way on the Twitters at Better Rivals. Uh, if you have any uh, things that I should do or see, shoot it my way because it ain't going to be football for the next three weeks. Yeah, man, that's crazy. So we're going to come back then. It looks like 
second week of June is is probably going to be where we're at. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing's going to happen between now and then. No. Like we're not going to be missing anything. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We're probably going to get into we might have some scheme month stuff coming up, and then it's going to be like right into training camp and and shit. So we're yep. not. God, we're already like May's almost over. We're almost a real football again. I know, Weird. like, and and this time we mean real football. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's like I'm I not. I don't know, man. There's like it's just like fly, this off season has gone by so. It feels, yeah, it does because the 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 distance for like uh, between the draft or free agency and the draft and like and end of the year and free agency, it just felt like it was all so compressed. So and we might only uh, have like um, I was looking at this the other day. We might have like six remote pot. Like there's a really good chance I'm gonna be back in Austin uh, come August. So. Yeah, we only like six remote podcasts left, or something like that. We uh, we should throw a reunion party. Let's just I mean get crunk and do like drunk prospecting again and go crazy. Done. All right, we've got the jackets to prove it. <laughs> yeah, those are still those didn't get oh, burned into fire. I mean, those are still here. Yet. That's right. Uh, well, thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Uh, again, you can follow me at Better Rivals David. Where can they follow you? Going to be at Newman NFL. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on the Android, Google Plays, anywhere we're at, or SoundCloud. Uh, Definitely give our previous uh, episodes a listen if you are in the mood. And as always, go Niners! Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, editor-in-chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else you listen to podcasts, check it out.